Good morning. Today is Tuesday, June 28, 2022. Many years ago, I officiated at a funeral. A woman had passed away, and she and her husband had been married for 60 years. And the husband told me at the funeral, the husband told me, throughout the 60 years of our marriage, we never had an argument. Wow. Sounds uh, idyllic. At that time, I, I don't remember exactly how long I was married. <laughs> A much shorter, shorter time. Um, on the surface, it seems like that's really, that's the goal. That's, that's what you want. It seems like that is a couple who took seriously the lesson in our Torah portion, the Parsh of Korach, <coughs> where the Torah says, after the debacle of Korach starting a rebellion and creating machlokas and argument and strife, the Torah says, Korach, of course, is punished. Moshe is shown to be the true leader. And the Torah says, Don't be like Korach. Not just to say that he's wrong, but don't be like him. That's, a, that's an injunction. Do not act the way Korach and his followers acted. So I would say the lesson from our Parsha, don't act like Korach. Don't engage in Machlokas. Don't argue. Don't rebel. Don't create controversy. If Moshe says this is what God wants, you listen, you accept it, you don't disagree. Lo don't be like Korach. Lo don't be like Korach. Don't create machlokas. This couple that I mentioned to you, they seem to be doing it right. But that is not correct. Because our sages reject that simplistic understanding of the lesson that we are to learn from the downfall of Korach in this week's Parsha. <clears throat> and they instruct us that there is a different lesson that we are to learn. And we are taught this in Pirkei Avos. Famous passage in Pirkei Avos, Ethics of the Fathers, Chapter 5, paragraph 21, any argument that is for the sake of heaven, so is kayim, in the end it will endure. What does that mean? We'll have to see. And if the argument is not for the sake of heaven, it will not endure. What is an example of a machlokas, of an argument that is for the sake of heaven? Zumachlokas Hilvishamai. This is the disputes between the Talmudic scholars Hillel and Shammai. They lived during the time of the Mishnah. They argued about a wide range of scholarly topics. And that's an example of a machlokas, of an argument which is for the sake of, of, of heaven. An example of a machlokas that is not for the sake of heaven, that's the machlokas of Korach and his followers. Notice, our rabbis do not say, don't argue. That's not the lesson to derive from our parsha. Rather, 
our rabbis say, don't argue like Korach. Instead, you should argue like Hill and Shammai. Now, you might be tempted to understand that what the rabbis are teaching us is Hillel and Shammai, they were scholars. They had scholarly disagreements, academic disagreements about details of Jewish law. Which paragraph of the Kiddush on Friday night is said first and which paragraph is said second? What's the order of lighting the Hanukkah lights? Do you start from one and go up to eight? Do you start from eight and go down to one? And Hillel and Shammai had these intellectual, academic, gentlemanly arguments, calm, respectful, but certainly they didn't argue with the kind of drama and the provocative nature and the angriness of the showdown instigated by Korach and our Parsha. That's what our rabbis mean to teach us, right? An angry, uh, dramatic uh, showdown with uh, that that is provocative, that creates all kinds of stress. That's what you should not do. But a calm, gentlemanly difference of opinion among scholars, that should be okay. But that is also an incorrect reading of what our rabbis are teaching us. Because... Hillel and Shammai argued vociferously on many, many topics. They were great outstanding scholars. They were amazing, refined human beings. And they argued, they yelled. They argued passionately about the subjects about which they disagreed. They saw themselves as arguing over the meaning and legacy of Judaism. Nothing less than that. They argued over the nature of God and our relationship with God. They argued over the very meaning of life. And sometimes, the Talmud records, they argued for years, for years, over a single issue. The Yerushalmi, the Talmud Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud says that it it all it it happened in one of their arguing. They almost came to blows. Hill and Shammai were no less dramatic, no less passionate, no less involved in the arguing that they did with each other, no less emotional. But our sages insist that the lesson is not don't fight, but rather fight like Hillel and Shammai and not like Korach. Well, if the difference between them is not in the tenor or the loudness of their arguing or the passion of their arguing, what's the difference? Why is one good and the other bad? Why are we enjoined to do one and we are told, warned away from doing the other? So the answer I'd like to share with you is based on the commentary of two of the classic commentaries on the Mishnah. One is Bartanura, the other is Rabbeinu Yonah. And 
The answer comes from a closer reading of the Mishnah that I read to you before from Pirkei Avos. Kol machlokas shehish l'shem shemayim sofel is kayim. A machlokas that's for the sake of heaven, it will endure. What is a machlokas l'shem shemayim? It means an argument that is for the sake of truth. What is a machlokas shalol shemayim? Not for the sake of heaven. That's an argument for the sake of victory. They're two very different kinds of arguments. Both can be dramatic and passionate and loud. One is an argument searching for the truth. The other is the argument searching for power. Korach wanted victory. He wanted that he should win and Moshe should lose. He wanted power. He wanted status. He wanted a bigger role. He wanted Moshe to give up some of his authority that he should have. He wanted more honor. He says, it's not enough just to be a levy. He also wanted to be a Kohen. He wanted more. He wanted to win. He wanted victory. Moshe provided a rational response to Korach's challenge of who should be the leader. Moshe said, let God decide. It's not me. Let God decide. Now, at the moment when Moshe says to Korach, listen, you're challenging that I should be the leader. Let God decide and it'll be clear. That should have been the end of the discussion. I mean, logically, that should have been an adequate response to Korach's challenge, but it wasn't. Moshe's response, let God decide, makes sense if the issue uh, is who does God choose, then Moshe's answer makes sense. Let God decide. God will establish. But Korach wasn't listening to that. That didn't change Korach's mind because he wasn't interested in truth. He wasn't interested in who actually God had in mind to be the leader. He wanted power. He wanted victory. He wanted to win. And so he insisted on his approach and his machlokes, regardless of the fact that God, that Moshe said, there's a really simple way to settle this. No, Korach says, there is not a simple way to settle this until you give up. Because until you give up and I have more, this is not settled. Because Korach was after victory, was after power. Then the Torah tells us that Moshe went to Dasan and Aviram. They were two of the followers of Korach, who the truth is objectively had no part, no reason to be part of Korach's rebellion, but they joined in. And they had a different complaint. So Moshe went to address their complaint. And they refused to speak to Moshe. Which, of course, is the clearest sign that they were not interested in the truth. If you and I disagree about something and I say to you, I have a solution. 
and you're not interested in hearing the solution, then clearly you're not interested in the truth of the matter. You want to be right. You want to win. And that's the point of our Parsha. This was not a rebellion for the sake of truth. This was a rebellion for the sake of victory, for the sake of power, for the sake of honor, for the sake of I want to win and you have to lose. And in any such machlokas, that's a machlokas, shalol shem shemayim, not for the sake of heaven, says the Mishnah, sofa enaliskaya, it will not endure, which means both sides lose. Not just the one who starts it, but both sides lose. And this is a really important lesson, and this is relevant to every single one of us. One of the main lessons we learn from this Parsha is that a machlokas, where the goal is not truth but power, it is destructive. Both sides suffer. Because if you win, I lose. But if I win... I also lose because in diminishing you, I diminish myself. Just about all of politics could be consumed in that one sentence. And it's really true. If the way that I win is by diminishing you, I diminish myself. And we see this clearly in our Parsha <coughs> where Moshe <clears throat> is right. I've said this before. Never in the history of humankind has anyone been more right in an argument than Moshe against Korach. Because God himself says Moshe is right. God brings a miracle to say Moshe is right. No one of us will ever get, or okay, has ever gotten so far, God himself to say, no, you're right and the other guy's wrong. So Moshe was right. And just as clearly, Moshe's leadership suffers as a result of Korach's rebellion. The Moshe we see at the end of this Parsha is himself diminished. And that process continues through the rest of the book of Bamidbar. Because in having to be victorious over Korach, Moshe's leadership is diminished. And the opposite is true for an argument for the sake of truth. <clears throat> because if I win the argument, I win. But if I lose, I also win because being defeated by the truth is the only form of defeat that is a victory because I want the truth. So if I want the truth and I don't just want to be victorious, so if I'm right, I win. If you're right, I also win because now I know the truth. I wasn't looking to be right. I want to know the truth. How were Hillel and Shammai different? Their arguments were for the sake of truth, not for the sake of victory. No less passionate, 
no less vociferous, no less loud or emotional, but for the sake of truth. The Talmud shows this in an amazing manner. In general, we have many, many disputes between Hillel and Shammai, and then we have many more disputes between Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai, the Academy of Hillel and the Academy of Shammai. In general, with a few exceptions, Jewish law follows the opinion of Hillel. Why? There are two great scholars. Why choose one to be the normative opinion against the other? Says the Talmud. The halacha is like Hillel and Beis Hillel, because they studied not only their own rulings, but also those of Beis Shammai, the Academy of Shammai, and because they taught the words of Beis Shammai before their own. So when, when Hillel was discussing a subject, the first thing he would say is, this is what Shammai says, but my opinion is different. What's indicated by that? What's indicated by that is that their argument is a search for truth, not for victory. That's why they listened to the views of their opponents first and taught the view that opposes them first and then went on to rebut it or respond to it because they wanted to know the truth. And throughout the Mishnah and the Talmud, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, when he wrote the Mishnah, respected the character of Hillel and base Hillel. And when he wrote the Mishnah, when he edited the Mishnah, he always wrote the opinion of Beis Shammai first and then the opinion of Beis Hillel in order to remind us that that is how Hillel himself used to act because they were seeking truth. All of them, they were seeking truth. I've shared with you before the statement of the Chazon Ish, Rabbi Avram Karelitz, from B'nai Brak, who wrote in a letter, you can disagree with my opinion, but only if you have stated my opinion first to my satisfaction. And that's such an important point. Sometimes, very often, a person will assert someone else's opinion, but in an inaccurate form, in order to more easily argue against it. But to state the other person's opinion to their satisfaction, yes, that is my opinion, now let me tell you why I disagree. Now let me tell you why I think that's wrong. That's when you have the right to disagree. That's when there is a search for truth, not for victory. And that's why in an argument for truth, both sides win because each is willing to listen to the views of the other side and is thereby enlarged. I learned something new. I would have liked to have learned that I was right, but at least I learned what the truth is. And the, the, the sign that this is the case is each party in the dispute, again, no matter how vociferous, no matter how emotional it gets, each is willing, if refuted, to say, I was wrong. That's the sign, because there is no triumphalism in victory. 
no anger or anguish in defeat if the search is for truth. And that's why I think that that marriage with no fighting at all, no argument over the course of 60 years, uh, something's wrong there. That's just not natural. Because our rabbis did not conclude from the Korach rebellion that argument is wrong. That leaders are entitled to unquestioning obedience. That the supreme value in Judaism is, as it is in certain other religions, submission. No. To the contrary. Argument is the lifeblood of Judaism. That's a quote from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Argument is the lifeblood of Judaism. So long as it is rightly motivated and essentially constructive in its aims. In other words, focused on finding the truth, not in becoming victorious. The story of Korach remains the classic example of how argument can be dishonored. Hillel and Shammai remind us that there's another way. Conflict resolution by honoring both sides and employing humility in the pursuit of truth. My friends, I want to wish you a great day and I look forward to seeing you soon in person.